Hello. How you doing, guys? This is Steve Schwartz, Stephen J. Schwartz, actually, uh, uh, on the podcast here with Eric Tarloff. I have a book published with uh, Rare Bird Press, the Rare Bird Books, called Hollywood Versus the Author. We'll be talking about that today. And this is Eric and Tarloff. Eric? I have a, a book coming out uh, in March uh, called the, the Woman in Black, and it's a novel. And it's also published by Rare Bird. Um, now we're Eric, off and running. So <laughs> we're off and running. Uh, yeah. Eric, you're, so The Woman in Black, um, I, mean, I read a little bit about it, and I can't wait to actually read it. It sounds like it's right up my alley. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about it, and I think just by reading what I read about The Woman in Black, uh, I can tell that you've been um, uh, burned a little bit uh, by Hollywood, but you've, you've <laughs> oh, turned boy, that into a, uh, yeah, into a yeah. creative Although, endeavor. I, mean, um, I have to say the book... My novel is not about, uh, it's not a, a collection of Hollywood horror stories unlike yours. Um, it's a yeah. novel about uh, a young actor in the 1950s, and it's told in the form of an oral history by all the people who knew him. There are 37 different voices. His not among them, um, but yeah. it traces his career from uh, basically birth to death. <laughs> Can't wait for you to read it, Stephen. <laughs> It's like a Rashomon kind of experience of this character's life, right? Well, I think that's a very good uh, description, although there are 37 rather than like five five versions of him. But yes, uh, everybody sees him a little differently. I'd like to think a three-dimensional portrait of a person emerges, but not every detail uh, comports with every other detail because we're seeing him from a whole lot of different people who knew him in different contexts and had different sorts of relationships with him. I just I love the fact that you've you've turned you know your experience of observing Hollywood and and what can happen in and your own experiences of, of of going through you know some difficult times and you've turned that into a creative endeavor uh, as a novel you know whereas you know my collection is I love my, the, my collection because it's the actual people talking about their real experiences but you know we're just a bunch of authors bitching about what happened to us whereas. You've turned this into a, an actual story and 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 made a, a you know a, a creative life out of something you know that was well, could be it's relatively a, it, negative. Most of my most of my terror, my nightmare tales don't actually get anywhere near my novel because it it is about an actor rather than uh, than a writer. Um, so I can't say I, I I converted my particular dross into gold, but I appreciate what you have to say. Uh, but you know I'm I'm second generation Hollywood, so. Uh, I've certainly seen it up close, both what it did to my father and what it's done to me over the years. Uh, it's not, I guess what I'm saying really is it's not an exotic landscape for me. I mean, I grew up in it. Um, what did your dad do in Hollywood? I wasn't aware of that. Oh, yeah, he was a screenwriter. Um, he won an Academy Award, as a matter of fact. Really? What, what, for what screenplay? What a movie uh, with Cary Grant and Leslie Caron called Father Goose. And he was blacklisted wow. for about 12 years prior to that. Oh, my God. Wow. That is, that is, that is wild. Yeah. So your father um, was blacklisted? Yes. And we moved to England. I actually grew up in England. Uh, that, we've got a lot to talk about. I'm really fascinated with that era of Hollywood. Mm. And um, when I was in college, I had a professor at Cal State Northridge who also taught at USC, and he brought over... Um, it's killing me because I can't remember the name of the author, the screenwriter, uh, uh, not Dalton Trumbo, but it was um, a, a, a pretty big screenwriter who had been blacklisted during that time. 
and um, I got to interview him um, uh, for a documentary that we did in, in school, actually. Huh. Uh, and he uh, he wrote, um, oh boy, uh, the boxing film that was really well known at that time. I'm just trying to think of it. Might poke your your memory of the harder uh, they fall. Who the author? No, it's called the harder um, they fall. No, it wasn't wasn't that. Uh, hopefully, within this half hour, I'll think of it. But but it okay. always made me, you know. And I don't know if you knew Mel Wells too. Mel Wells was an actor who also kind of went off to um, to England to work during the whole uh, Blacklist I, era. Um, I didn't, but I went to school in my school because I was at the American School in London for most of that time. There were a whole bunch yeah. of red diaper babies who. Uh, Whose parents had had expatriated themselves because they couldn't work in Hollywood. So I, I I did know a lot of these people. I mean Dalton Trumbo, whom you mentioned, was of a family friend. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. That, and my closest amazing. friend when I was in the fifth grade was uh, Tim Hunter, who's now a director, and his father was Ian McClellan Hunter, who in fact was awarded oh. the an Oscar for prior to being blacklisted. He was awarded an Oscar for. I can't remember which film it is now, but it oh Roman Holiday, which was actually written by Dalton oh. Trumbo. And amazing. <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I actually want to teach a class on the Hollywood blacklist era. Um, I teach I teach at Emerson uh, now, and 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 that's oh. something I've kind of been pitching that I want to teach, and I want to you know compare it to you know what's going on in in the world today with the fake news, and you know and and, mm. and how things can be so you know turn on a dime. Um, as far as who can suddenly be blacklisted for political reasons. Yeah, no, um, well, it's, it, and it's, it was a fascinating period because the fear was so rampant, and it happened rather yeah. quickly. And I mean, yeah. It, yeah. part of what made it weird is we were allies with the Soviet Union, and then within like a year or two, they were our deadly mm-hmm. enemy. Right, um, yep. Yes, uh, or we can go. be deadly... <laughs> They can be deadly enemies with North Korea, and suddenly they'll become our best friends. Yeah, friend suddenly too. we'll so, be pals. But when, yeah. And we'll, we'll never turn know. On South Cor- we'll turn on South Korea. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> why, why my friend Trevor Silverman once said, the way you sometimes become friend with a, somebody who's a friend of a friend is you get together and you trash yeah. the friend you have in common. So maybe that's, yeah. that's how we'll handle this. That's politics, I guess, yeah. 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 Um, I, yeah. Also, I was kind of looking through just a little bit of the things you've done, and, and I saw that you... Um, you were very involved in. You've got part of your bio says you had you involved in the development of fifteen or twenty long form theatrical motion pictures, and mentioning Aladdin as one of them, which is kind of interesting because when I left film school, I um, I went to work at Disney Studios in international marketing, and the oh. first film that we were launching was Aladdin. Um, ah, I did a couple of drafts of Aladdin during the writer's strike because. Yeah. Writers, uh, uh, guild members were allowed to work in uh, animated features, but not in, not in uh, actual, normal, real people theatrical features. And the strike ended, yeah. and like a schmuck, I said, well, that's it. I write for real people, so I'm going to quit this, this job. I had no idea it was going to be such a hit. So I, I, yeah. um, I left after, I think, two drafts or three drafts. I wasn't fired. I actually quit. It's one of the few times I did that. So that was just, I'm sorry, I missed that. You, that was just after the strike? or um, Well, no, I did it during the strike because the Writers Guild uh, said it was okay to write for it. It was covered by a different union. So the Writers Guild said, okay. yeah, sure, you can write that. But then once the because strike it was ended, animation? I said, yes, because it was animation, exactly. Yeah. I got it, yeah. Yeah. 
the the strikes uh, both the writers strikes that i've experienced in my life have, have always have managed to hurt me somehow like my the first strike in like 1988 i had just finished my first screenplay i was in college and it had won this um uh this this award that spielberg had uh, supported and it got me an agent and i had a producer um, that was interested in it, in optioning it, and we were having talks about it with Michael Barnathan, who was with Edgar Sherrick and Associates at the time. You probably know all those guys. Um, so it was very exciting, you know, and I was, you know, I was, what, 19 years old or something, 20 years old. And then the writer's strike happened, and the producer said, sorry, we can't talk. And I said, well, I'm not in the guild. He said, it doesn't matter, we can't talk. And that lasted for like three or four months. Yeah, um, that was a lot And then we came back to the yeah, when we came back to the table, they said, oh, you know, sorry, we've moved on to other things. And that was my first yeah. experience, you know, <laughs> not crossing well, that, the line, you know. You should have put that, you should have put yourself in that in your book. That's a pretty yeah. bad story. Yeah. It's yeah. going to have to be Hollywood versus the uh, author part two and three with all of my <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, clearly. I mean, of all the stories in your book, and they're all in their way nightmare stories, I found the Garrison story mm-hmm. the worst. I mean, uh, she was absolutely. really treated terribly, and uh, yeah. I mean, an hour, it's like you want to get a pitchfork and go yeah. run at the studio because uh, they basically yeah. just stole her stuff and refused to acknowledge it or or reward her. Yeah, yeah. it was it was an honor to be able to publish that for it. It's, kind of, it's funny because I didn't know about that story, and I started when I had the idea for having authors talk about generally the horror stories of selling their books to Hollywood. There are a few. There are a few stories in there that are really nice success stories. You know, some of them show struggle, mm-hmm. and some of them were just perfect and nothing went wrong. Uh, but most most people really not had too many. tough experiences. <laughs> not too many that had the good ones. But I but I just kind of reached out to Tess because I I knew her. We had blogged together before uh, on this uh, mystery thriller blog site, and I didn't know about. It. And she was like ready to. She was like so happy to have an outlet. Oh, to, to that put that must have been so in. cathartic to write that story <laughs> and to finally get somebody yeah. to pay attention. Yeah. yeah, and to publish it, and to, to, you know, to get it out there, and and she's been a real big supporter of the of the publication too, and and you know, publicizing it a lot on her website and different forums too. And Great. yeah, it's an important message that needs to be heard, you know. Yeah, because um, basically, other than other than uh, whatever his name is, who wrote the uh, Coming to America precursor, um, right? You know uh, what I mean, right? Um, yes, it's in the book too, and. Why am yeah. I blinking out? Um, We're both blanking on it. He was a well-known columnist at the Washington Post. Yeah, um, right. And I yeah. had a, actually, I had, we had many friends. My wife and I had many friends in common with him. Uh, anyway, un, other than that, I can't think of many successful or really any successful lawsuits. No, I think he was the only one. It was the Coming yeah. to America film, and, and everybody knows who it is. And, and well, he was partly able that. to do it because he had nothing to lose. He wasn't planning to have a career in Hollywood. So... Yeah, all the threats yeah. of you'll never work in this town again. Uh, yeah, could roll off his shoulders like right. water off a duck, duck's yeah. back. Uh, I actually yeah. had those words spoken to me once. It was said, "If you do this, you, you'll never work in this town. We'll see to it that you never work in this town again." Yeah. No, see, I don't, I don't buy that. Um, the reason I don't buy that is because you know when when people say that you know, oh, Hollywood like loves my book or my script or whatever, and Hollywood's going to make this thing. I think, well, what is Hollywood? You know, it's, it's not a single entity. It's a bunch of different people who have different projects and, and they get, they get the financing and, and, they, and they run with it and, and they're just a bunch of guys that are trying to get projects off the ground. Um, and so if there's yeah. one Hollywood that says we're going to kill you in this town, 
there's there's another independent producer somewhere that's willing to take a chance, I think, and, and go up against that system. Well, you make that point in the book, and I think it has some validity, but on the other hand, if you think about the Me Too movement, there are actresses yeah. who actually never worked in that town again because they wouldn't yeah, be the true. producer. Uh, right. And, uh, you yeah. know, some people have more power than others. And um, I don't yeah. know. I, I didn't ta- I mean, that's I laughed at that thread. It seemed silly, but I think there are people who can make yeah. it stick. Now, and I, I even worried about, you know, the fact that we, you know, published Tessa's story, you know, in, in, the, in the collection. And I asked, uh, you know, the publisher before when I said, are we protected on this? You know, did you talk to your lawyers? And, and they said, yeah, we talked to the lawyers. Everything's fine. So, okay, I just want to make sure that, we're protected <laughs> with this kind of thing because, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't mind. I mean, I really, I've been kind of on the outside of Hollywood long enough to, to, to not feel like it will threaten me. You know, I'm going to do my own thing and, mm. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make whatever happens any way I can do it. And I don't really want to rest, you know, depend on somebody else who could actually destroy my career. I just don't want to give that power to anyone, you know. Yeah, I feel the same way. And, and not just destroy my career, but as your book, uh, illustrates repeatedly destroy your work. I mean, yeah. writer yeah. has no control. Uh, and once right. or twice, you've you've got people who actually became producers to protect their work. But um, yeah, that's yeah. that's very exceptional. By and large, yeah, you're a hired hand, and whatever you produce, no matter how much you love it and how much you've invested of yourself in it, they can just take it apart mm-hmm. and wreck it. Uh, and it's not yeah. like it's not like they improve it in in. In, I, I did a lot of episodic TV, and I think yeah. in only like two cases did I think, gee, this rewrite really improved my work. Uh, mostly right. I felt it, yeah. it hurt it. Um, that's and, a tough one, and, that, and that's why screenwriters become authors. And I, I know a lot of, I know a lot of very happy authors who aren't making much money that used to be screenwriters. You know, yeah, and, well, and, I, uh, I actually always wanted to be a novelist, and the screenwriting yeah. was just. It was a way of financing my fiction, but of course it begins to take over, partly because you get greedy and partly because the work is thin enough on the ground that you have to be available at any given time when an opportunity arises. Um, Yeah. I mean, rather than write a spec script, I would write a novel, but, you know, I was a pen for hire for a while, and it was hard to say no. The pay was very good. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you've done some, I mean, some of my very, very favorite TV shows. I mean, come All in the Family uh, and Matt. Yeah, I did, a, I mean, I mean, I did were... a lot of real crap TV show, but there are a few good ones uh, in my resume. I mean, I did All in the Family and yeah. MASH and the Bob Newhart Show and the Jefferson. Uh, and then I did all these others, which I won't even mention because they're really embarrassing right. credits. You know, you don't, and you don't have to mention them. <laughs> all you have okay. to do is mention the, those huge successes. Um, yeah, well, that's, that was that that's was, what I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that was great, great TV. So monumental. Um, the, all in the family with the topics that they that they that they you know that they took on, just yeah. intense. And Mash, I was just thinking like yesterday about that that final Mash episode, you know, with the chicken, you know, and it's just like mm-hmm. and unbelievable kind of work uh, that is, yeah. is so rare. Now, I mean, now we've got. A revolution in in television, and and you can see it on streaming channels and HBO and and everything. So now now you can you can maybe 
tackle some of that again, but not with the same subtlety. And well, not on network TV. I mean, it's because of Never cable and all the different outlets. Yeah. I mean, what was great yeah. about those shows, uh, those handful of really great shows in the 70s, where they were on network TV, and they sort of defied yeah. the censors. And believe me, the censors tried yeah. very hard to limit what they put on. And it was only sure. after they became big hits that they were able to do some of the things they managed to do. But with MASH, I give yeah. so much of the credit to Larry Gelbart and Gene Ren- Reynolds, who were sure. terrific. Yeah. And um, even yeah. with all the different writers who worked for the show, it really it always retained the stamp of their individual uh, quality. You know, the 70s when the film industry and TV industry allowed um, those creative uh, dynamos to really kind of take charge, they didn't really know what, especially in movies, they didn't know well, it, yeah, what film to do. Especially. There was that whole yeah. new generation of USC-trained yes. screenwriters and directors who sort of, what happened was they were given the chance to make a movie, and the movie was a hit, and then they suddenly yeah. Yeah. were powers in the, in, the, uh, in the industry. I mean, it happened with Spielberg, yeah. and it happened with George Lucas, and it happened with any number of them. Um, yeah, Dennis Hopper. Yeah. You know, you give Dennis Hopper the reins. What do you? What's going to come out of it? You have no idea. But Speaking you of whom, go. he was actually blacklisted yeah. for a while, not for politics, but it was one of those you'll never work in this industry again. He refused to accept really? the line reading from the director, who said, "That's it, you're finished." Mm. And he didn't work for several wow. years. Wow, that is crazy. Yeah, it's very much like the Me Too movement and actresses that we yes, don't absolutely. See again. You're so you're yeah. so vulnerable to the power these people wield that you really yeah. don't have any recourse. I remember the name of the movie. I still can't remember the name of the director, writer, the writer, writer-director. Uh, the movie's Body and Soul. So who directed that? I don't remember. Polanski. It was, it was Abraham Polanski. It, it was oh, Abraham who, who Polanski. later became, I think he later became a fink. A, a, became a fink? I think so. Really? I probably shouldn't Polanski? say that without absolute certain yeah. knowledge. But my, I, yeah. I, and if if so, I apologize to his to his heirs. Yeah. But I think I think yeah. that's true. Um, huh. I mean, a I, number I, of people who who sang treated themselves as if they had been victims of the blacklist. I mean, Lloyd Bridges' sure. son yeah. discovered that he had named names only well after his wow. death. They thought he was a victim. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. Well, I know that Abe yeah. was blacklisted, so I don't know. I mean, I, he he was. Well, some people were blacklisted and then went back and became friendly witnesses. And they went back after uh, a while. There were a few of those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, including one who went mm. to jail. One of the ones who, uh, one of the original ten, recanted after yeah. being released from jail. Yeah. Did you ever work weird. with? Uh, this might be this might be before your time, but I don't know if you ever worked with Elia Kazan. He was another one. You mean Elia Kazan? No, uh, no, but my father did organize the protest against his Academy okay. Award. Yeah. yeah, it would be it would be your dad, I'm sure. That it was that whole era. Yeah, yeah, and I worked with yeah, um, Nick Kazan on um, on Bicentennial Man. That was uh, uh, oh, yeah. Was you mentioned that in for... your book. That's interesting. I mean, he yeah. he was. Yeah. I talked to him once, I think, and he was sort of apologetic about his father and what he had done to my yeah. father, which was. Which was it was into your dad. Wow, what is, what is, you've had, it really it's interesting how many people you came in touch with through your father and your own experience in the industry, yes. and it just it, no, that, it's fascinating. That's, did you ever, that's, did, 
I mean, if you live in L.A., like if you grew up in L.A. and you just know everybody, did you ever know uh, Karen Borman by any chance? She no. was an agent. Uh, okay, but no. she like Dennis Hopper used to come over to her house all the time when she was a kid, and you know, it's mm. just um, it, it's just so funny how if you're living in L.A., you you end up just kind of knowing everybody. Growing well, if up, if you're living in L.A. and your and, parents are in the business, then it's amazing yeah. how many paths paths you cross. And then if you're in the business yeah. yourself, I mean, originally the people I worked with were friends of my parents. You know, the Norman yeah, Lear was yeah. somebody who my father had known for, you know, 40 years or something. Uh, ditto yeah. Mort Lachman, who was the producer on All in the Family. Um, yeah. uh, Larry Gobart. Well, I went to school with Larry Gobart's kids in London. So, I mean, yes, these were yeah. all just sort of people one knew. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and so, then the generation gave way and they all became resentful. <laughs> but that's, that's yeah. the, the history of the world. Right. Right, and now yeah. you're up in I mean, you're living in Berkeley, right? Right, I've been living here forever. I mean, since uh, I, yeah. even when I was even when I had a career in TV and movies, I I would fly down to Los Angeles for the meetings or drive down and then come back to do the work. I just felt it was yeah. easier to retain my sanity that way. Yeah, I was when I, I kind of bring it back to the point before our time is up because I know I can tell right now we can talk for about ten hours. Yes. Great, we'll have no problem talking. And perhaps we will without um, uh, it being a podcast, but do go ahead. We, we probably will. We should record it regardless. But, um, yeah. but as far as like um, your, your experience uh, in the development world, did, did you ever adapt novels? Was that something you had to kind of tackle? I can't remember adapting novels except my own once. Uh, my first mm-hmm. novel I, I was hired to adapt as a screenplay, and it was weird because we got greenlit and then it never got made anyway. I don't know how that happened, but, um, um, but I've, I often was hired to rewrite screenplays that somebody else had written. The, yeah. you know, the very thing that would, yeah. if somebody did it to me, no. I'd be furious, but, uh, and right. it has happened to me and I was furious, but yes, I was yeah. often hired to do that. Um, yeah. And, and it's interesting because even when you're given a screenplay to rewrite, you really do have to reconceive it. I mean, I understand yeah. why it happens with novels. And it's interesting yeah. that almost every novel or every writer in your book is a writer of, mm. in one way or another, thrillers. I mean, yeah. The, yeah. you know, there was not one sort of writer of literary fiction. And it was interesting to me that that's the case. Because in a way, yeah. it's, I think, easier to adapt thrillers than literary fiction yeah. because the virtues of literary fiction aren't just story. So to capture yeah. it in, in, a, a, in a, a cinematic form is tricky. How do you get the equivalent of a sort of linguistic elegance? Yeah, you don't. <laughs> so you, you're, in effect, sacrificing yeah. everything except story. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, Hitchcock was once asked, I was once asked <laughs> if he would ever do Crime and Punishment as a movie. And he said, yeah. "No, I have nothing. I would have nothing to add to it. It's it's a great mm. work of art. It doesn't require adaptation." Um, mm. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a little simpler than that, as far as like the the fact that everyone in the collection of mystery thriller authors is that that is my uh, that's kind of my peer group. Those are the only guys I know, you know, and that I can uh-huh. actually reach out to because my my work is 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 that is in the kind of crime thriller genre. So. Um, I was trying to go out to other people, too. I mean, I would really love to get people who are just fiction authors. Um, I reached out to a number of them, um, 
and uh, you know, for whatever reason, some didn't come through. I do have a couple authors in there that um, that weren't thriller writers. Um, I forgot exactly who right now, but um, but for the most part, yeah, these are the folks that I that I kind of know that I can reach out to. Um, I would love to get some more feedback, uh, maybe for Hollywood versus the author part two, of people who who uh, who are really just writing fiction, um, and that's a whole different you know world. Yes, and you mentioned some of them. I mean, some of the ones who are no longer with us, unfortunately, you can't interview yeah. them. But still, it would be interesting to. Yeah. Um, there must be a record somewhere of what Hemingway thought about. Um, oh, sure. Uh, the old man in the sea, or, or I I know yeah. that uh, because I was very friendly with Nunnally Johnson's son Scott. In fact, I think we're best friends. So I know that Steinbeck was very happy with Grapes of Wrath. But I'm, you know, mm-hmm. on the other hand, Norman Mailer, I think hated uh, uh, The Naked and the Dead, the movie. Uh, I don't know what well, Philip Roth thought yeah. of, uh, you know, and I, I, those are really interesting yeah. kind of, because the, there you really, and I, I mean, I even wrote an essay about how you capture the special quality of a literary novel in film, talking about yeah. the novels of John Fowles. Um, it yeah. would be interesting to know how these writers sort of felt about well, that was what your, had been done. Yeah, I, I read your um, article, The Art of Book to Film Adaptations, right? And, yes, right. and you were talking about the French Lieutenant's Woman, and, and that, um, that I mean, unfortunately, I've never seen the film. I've always heard it's a great film, and, and I haven't seen it. I haven't read the novel. But you describe it well film. in, in the article. It's a great screenplay. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. Uh, you know, now I can't wait to, to, to see the film um, because of the way you said that the, the, the Pinter, right, uh, who wrote the it screenplay? It was Harold Pinter, yeah. Um, yeah, how he, he decided to keep this flavor of what's in the novel by creating this 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 the the the, the period the the, sort of, the actors in the film having this relationship which mirrors the relationship that's in the movie that they're making so that yes this, exactly this film which gives the you the bifurcated yeah. consciousness of the book I mean it's I, it, yeah. he, you know Pinter was a genius and it took a genius to figure that out I don't think anybody else could have come yeah. up with that oh well, you said like yeah if like you know, uh, 10,000 or 999, you know, people were asked to do that, you know, only one would have done it the way he did it, right? Yeah, like no, that. I think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense, too, because you want, you say, okay, this is a different form. Um, we got to take the novel, we got to adapt it to, to the screen, and so we just have to cut it down to the basic elements of the story. Um, exactly, uh, it becomes, be able to well, what is extra. the story, not what is the flavor of the novel. But yeah. Pinter, to his great credit, Said no, I want to do the flavor of the novel as well as the story, and uh, yeah. he did. <laughs> uh, he found a way. Yeah. But you know, you look at some of the, like Joseph Losey, who d- directed um, many of Pinter's screenplays, had a, had himself a very literal approach to uh, adapting great fiction, and I think it makes for pretentious and rather boring movies. I mean, he did Ulysses, mm. and it's I think it's yeah. it's a really ponderous movie. Um, yeah, but when yeah. he worked with Pinter, he 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 lucked out. Uh, like the Go Between, yeah. which was another adaptation that Pinter did for him, is a terrific movie and a terrific screenplay. Right. And again, it, you know, the opening line of the of the Go Between of the novel is the past is a different country. They do things differently there. And what uh, Pinter did was he introduced the flash forward, so that you get the events mm-hmm. that are happening in the in the the past and then every once in a while you yeah. cut to the same characters you know 30 years or 40 years later and again you see that mm. the past was a different country 
That's cool. It's a great line. It's a great opening line. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's a very good book too. But yes, it's a much quoted opening line. I think I think a very strong director can capture that vision and, and create something new out of it, like a Steven Soderbergh, what he did with the Elmer Leonard uh, novel. Um, uh, I forgot the one. Get Shorty. So, get, get, no, not the Get Shorty. It's the other one. Uh, is the he didn't do he didn't direct that one. He directed the other Elmer Leonard, which is with um, uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez and. Um, when you're out of time, uh, you know, when, you, when the clock is ticking, you can't yeah, remember anything. Yeah, it's very hard to think right? of anything. You know, and yeah. this, you know, it's one of my favorite yeah. Steven Soderbergh films. I can, and, you know, the moment I get off the phone, I'm going to remember everything. Of yes, of course. You know, but um, of course, I'm just, but I was I thinking, oh, Eric's going to know this. All I have to do is throw out, you know, uh, Jennifer Lopez, and Eric's going to get this for me. And yeah, well, I, don't, like, I know, know the movie <laughs> just as well as you do, and I know the name just as well as you do. Yeah, and um, anyone listening to this will know the movie, right? Yes, anyway, of that, course. That was a great edit. these two guys? Exactly, <laughs> but uh, and that's yeah. and this is exactly why they won't hire um, older writers in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I was once hired to adapt an Elmore Leonard book, and one of the things, yeah, you know, this gets to your point, which is, uh, of course, Elmore Leonard is is activated by two great qualities: his dialogue is fantastic, and the story oh. really zips along, and yeah, that makes them relatively easy or at least relatively ripe for adaptation <laughs> because yeah. you're not losing like great description or great analysis of the consciousness of the characters. You've got this story mm-hmm. with these sort of people who talk great or talk in a way that's very sort of characterful and lively. Yeah. Um, and yeah. when I was hired to adapt one of the books, which I, the screenplay never got made, needless to say, uh, one of the things the producer said is, don't mess with his dialogue. I mean, his dialogue is so great. Just use it. Yeah. And of course, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and what's nice with Soderbergh is that he took the dialogue then, and then he, he as a director, he created the visuals around that. And that is his medium, right? And, yes. And, he, and captured a kind of equivalence, which is the sort of fast-moving, uh, yeah. I mean, the beautiful pacing yeah. of it and so on. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so it didn't feel like a novel, and it didn't feel like a play. It could have easily felt like a play because it was mostly dialogue, right? The novel was, uh, yeah. but it felt but it's like a, a lot movie. of action too. Even in the novel, it's a lot of action. A lot of action. Yeah. I think it's easier to adapt Elmore Leonard than Dostoevsky. You know? I mean, oh, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and he probably what, wouldn't bitch about just just yet. His he would. skills. I mean, he was he was great at what he did, but that's sort of yeah. amenable to translation into cinema. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's not interior well, so much. Yeah. So I do have a clock in the car. I didn't realize I'd be looking at my clock in the car, <laughs> but I, I think we're, we're pretty much running up against the end of our time we here. We hit it? Okay. I figured, I'd, I'd, I'd figured we'd end it without being cut off in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> All um, right. That's good thinking. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure uh, talking I, to you, Stephen. Eric, I really enjoyed talking to you, and I definitely want to keep this conversation going. We haven't even talked about music, you know, in writing and the Beatles and all these other things that influence mm-hmm. our, our writing, you know, which, which, you know, I can well, maybe the, maybe there'll be a bio. podcast part two as well as a, as well as a Hollywood versus the author part two. Yeah, that sounds great. All right, Gary, all great right. to meet you. Great to meet okay. you too. Take care. Talk to you soon.